Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another installment of History Hack. Alina, who have we got with us today? We've got with us Joanna Valdez-Tullet, who's a prehistoric archaeologist working with Historic Environment Scotland on Scotland's rock art project. Welcome, Joanna. Hi. Hi. Hello. Really We're looking so forward excited. to this one. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> well, as ever, let's start with the basics and get an explanation or definition from you. What is rock art? Right. So... Um, we tend to use the term rock art to um, talk about designs, motifs that are painted or carved on, um, you know, rocky surfaces. Um, so natural boulders, outcrops, uh, you know, caves and shelters um, and so on. Um, yeah, so that, that's like the, the basic definition of what rock art is. Of course, if we, if we think about the word art, um, it's it's a slightly controversial term, so not everyone really likes to kind of use the, the term rock art um, because, you know, we know from anthropology and ethnography that um, people certainly in, 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 in prehistory would not necessarily or could not necessarily have the concepts of art and artists that we have now that are very based on our kind of Eurocentric visions. But um, it's a very loaded term, so I think that most people just use it anyway because we know what we're kind of talking about would you maybe call it rock art not rock art but rock drawings you know um there have been there there have been some suggestions for other other names so instead of rock art you will find that some people might uh, refer to carvings particularly carvings on rocks as petroglyphs mm-hmm. um and paintings as pictographs there's even um there are other suggestions of other terms like PPEF, which is basically an acronym for pictographs, petroglyphs, engravings, and figures. Um, there's uh, somebody else kind of uh, suggested petroiconology. There's an Indian word, purakala. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. That is also kind of related and has also been put forward as a substitute for rock art or epipentology. I don't know. There, there's been all sorts of, of suggestions of other names, but I think. Generally, people stick to either rock art or petroglyphs or, yeah, pictograms. Or Just keep like it simple if in doubt. Yeah, I think. I was going to say, they, it doesn't really roll off the tongue of the others, do they? It's like these incredibly long, complicated rock art, simplistic, or rock drawings. 
Exactly. And I think, you know, people have been referring to, to well, rock art for, you know, such a long time. It, it's such a, uh, it has so much baggage in the term, you know, it's just very difficult to kind of unload that and unpick it and just come up with a completely new term that people will get used to it. So I think in general, um, yeah, rock art is used for, for, for that. There is, there, there are, however, kind of, slight differences and I think this is more like a, a language thing so um, for instance in when in, in English or, or in let's say Anglo-Saxon kind of uh, traditions there, there tends to be a distinction between between rock art and cave art so cave art would be like the paintings and rock art would be everything else that's outdoors like you know carvings um, but um, so where, where I come from we just use or at least what we translate as rock art um, it, it's basically like a more universal term that that encompasses everything. And then, you know, we have paintings and carvings indoors, outdoors, you know, um, like that. But yeah, I think, I think, I mean, I, I use the term rock art all the time. I find it, you know, I like it. I think that it's kind of useful. It's, you know, something that people relate to it more easily. So I, I just tend to use it. Where did your interest come from? You mean in rock art? Yeah. Yeah, so it was, it, it kind of happened a little bit accidentally, really, because um, when I was doing my undergrad, we, we had four years undergrad, and in, in each year we had a practical module uh, where we'd go out like digging or doing some field survey or whatever. And um, in a couple of years, we actually had the opportunity to go to this one place in Portugal, that's where I did my, my undergrad, called um, Foscoa, which is well known for its um out you know um um open air paleolithic rock art um it was actually it was actually found like in the mid 90s and then there was this kind of huge problem because it was going to be submerged by um the waters of of, of a dam that was being built at that point in fact that's they were kind of surveying the area because of the dam and that's why eventually they they found these um these carvings and um, so, yeah, we, we had the opportunity to go there and kind of do some some work. And, um, you know, it was it was love at first sight, I think, you know, because the landscapes are absolutely amazing. Uh, we were doing some really cool work. So we were going out looking for new stuff. Um, and also we were doing some recordings. We were documenting the rock art at night. So kind of carrying these great big um, generators to to attach these very powerful lamps um, for, you know, raking light um, and then recording them. And it was, it was just really, really fascinating. And I ended up going there a second, a second time. And then my final project uh, for my undergrad was again about, about rock art. And then it just, it just kept happening. You know, I just kept kind of, I started working and there were some jobs that also involved rock art. And then I did my master's and then it just, it just, it, it never left me. I just kept going. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I just kept following you around every turn, every corner, everything. Rock art. Exactly. Because I was actually more interested in, in, in lithics even, you know, it was like, I never really thought about doing anything, you know, it, it, it I think that it was always going to be prehistory, but um, yeah, I was more into other types of things. And then, you know, it, it just, it just happened. I think it chose me. I didn't choose it, I guess. <laughs> It's a typical historian rabbit hole, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. So where can we find, I mean, we've already touched on this, but where can we actually find rock art? Yeah, so 
rock art is kind of, I think it's a very, um, I, I was going to say human thing, but of course it's a human thing because it's, it's made by humans. But, um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, you can find it everywhere, wherever people were. Uh, and lived that you can find you can find rock art so you have it like all in in every continent and um and it and it was created you know across all the periods i mean even today you you have communities that still produce rock art and i don't know some people also you know there is this kind of debate where do we draw the line is graffiti kind of in this category for instance our modern graffiti but you know that's that's a complete different discussion but but yeah so you find it pretty much everywhere what kind of images are we talking about? I, I'm guessing, again, it's a massive span. Yeah, so it, it again, it very, very much depends where you are. Um, there are two, so we tend to kind of categorize it in, in two ways. We are either looking at figurative art, which, you know, has representations of things that we can identify. So the animals that we see in, in the caves or, um, you know, people um there are there's some kinds of some traditions of rock art that have depictions of say houses and carts and all sorts of things boats things that we can identify that we relate with that we know the objects that we know um we tend to call figurative art and then there's everything else that we don't really know what it is that is more abstract and geometric um so these are the two main groups of 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 rock art that uh, that we have, and then depending on you know where you are, uh, you will you will have more incidents of one or other tradition. So, for instance, if you look at Iberia, you have you know Iberia has a very complex kind of um, prehistory because there's people coming from all sorts of places, and there's lots of different traditions of rock art there. So you have like the Levantine rock art where you have people and and hunting and uh, you have animals um but you also have like in the northwest we have what we call atlantic rock art which is basically what what i'm it, it's my um specialism uh which is basically composed of like little cup marks which are um very small kind of two to four centimeters circles dug onto the uh, cut onto the rock and then they may or may not be surrounded by concentric rings uh, so it's all very geometric it's just circles and um you know spirals and and things like that so i mean we have names for for, for these shapes of course but we don't really relate to them in, in the way that you know we don't know what they mean basically um so yeah so um it depends and then for instance if you think about hand stencils we find hand stencils all, all over the place we have them in europe in 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 our paleolithic caves but we also have them in argentina and in indonesia in all sorts of places around the world so yeah it, it, it depends where you are yeah i guess coming back and i'm gonna pronounce this wrong uh is it fosco yeah, Foshko, yeah, that's right. So can you tell us a little bit more about what you found there? Because th that is the site that I think, as you said, it's one of the sites that inspired you to do this. Yeah, it, I mean, Foshko is, is, is really, it's amazing, you know. Um, it, you have, so basically Foshko is, is a valley. You know, you, you have this one big valley um, and there's like around 17 kilometres of that valley with lots of, um, like schist outcrops on each side, these very kind of um, vertical and flat 
very smooth as well um, box surfaces and um, and a lot of them are just completely covered in 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 engravings they're all they're all engraved or carved um, outdoors we don't know if they were painted I mean there is one site uh, where there are paintings there's there's an overhang so there there's some um, paintings but they're kind of uh, alongside some other motifs that are a little bit um, older so they're not quite Paleolithic so I don't know whether they were actually you know the Paleolithic uh, motifs would be painted or the Neolithic people came they painted their own stuff and then they painted over the Paleolithic stuff which you know could have happened but essentially um, Foshko has um, it's it's mostly animals that are that are depicted so we have horses lots of horses cervids like deer and roe deer goats and aurochs there's some really large aurochs in some of these of these um of these places and uh in i think uh the older kind of stages so it was it was carved for you know maybe twenty thousand years or something like that and some Amazing. of the uh, yeah and it's like they just kept coming back and kind of carving that and carving over and it's just this kind of tradition that lasted in time for such a long time uh, and we can see the differences in the style of the animals you know they're kind of they were designed slightly different uh in in different ways um and obviously you know there's been kind of excavations and they were so lucky to find you know some panels that were actually sealed so they can actually relate the the uh, carvings with stratigraphic layers and stuff so it's you know they have a, a good grasp of, of chronology there at the moment um so yeah and uh, so animals and uh, they're mostly the they're mostly drawn with very very fine incisions so you can hardly see them you know especially with all the weathering after how many thousands of years um, so it's really challenging, but it's amazing. And then they did this wonderful thing where they just carved over and over and over. There is this one rock that is known as spaghetti rock because all you get to see is these kind of really, you know, lines all over the place. And then when you actually start looking and trying to kind of individualize the, the motifs, you start seeing the animals coming up. Um, it's really interesting. Can I um, ask you what your also, favorite, yeah. favorite one is that you found at Foshkoa? Uh, or that you've seen maybe not that you discovered but that you've seen yeah well i i i tend to like the animals but i think that the one that uh, people might relate more with or tend to kind of you know like more is um is this man there is this uh, depiction of a man called uh which which basically means man of peace which is it's a stream that is adjacent to to the foshkoa river and um and he's uh, he's a really funny guy because uh you know he's 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 a bit bold or he's he looks a bit bold um and uh he's kind of incised just with one single line and he has lots of anatomical details so there's an eye there's an ear uh he has a line kind of on top of his mouth which you know it, it almost looks like a very kind of thin moustache which possibly it isn't but um and uh, he has this really large erect penis which people obviously love <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> but it's uh, really hard i bet you get asked oh, yeah. about that all the time as opposed absolutely. to any of the interesting ones it's like oh animals oh man with big penis absolutely yeah alina's soul and then he has kind of naples and the penis uh, museum yeah, so, yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> and then he has his kind of tubes coming out of his head. I don't know if they're related to, you know, his penis. God knows. I don't know. Yeah. So that, that's a funny one there. I think people like, really enjoy. And again, it's something that people relate with, you know, with all the animals. We don't know why they were depicting animals, but that man, we certainly know why he, <laughs> why they depicted it. But yeah. I think the only other thing I've seen in situ is at Wadi Rum. I've seen uh, the there's ibex drawn on there, which is historically significant because they're not present in the region anymore, but they would have been when uh, this yeah, caravan yeah. was passing through and that. So that's really pretty. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I saw a really funny cartoon. Actually, I thought of you, uh, Jana, when I, when, I, when I saw it on, twi- on was it Twitter or Facebook, one of those. It's a, it's a prehistoric cartoon where this, uh, this, this baby is crying and the woman's shouting at the, the caveman saying, just entertain the baby, entertain the baby. So he starts drawing animal pictures on the wall to entertain the baby. Yeah, I think I've seen something like that as well. Yeah, there's lots of cartoons. I think cave art is is something that it's just so present. You know, that if you find it everywhere, like um, in particularly in movies, there is this fascination with it. You know, whether they're kind of for kids or not. You know, there's there's like brother bear or whatever it's called even even in the lion king you have some cave paintings there you know <laughs> and uh, you know there's that follow-up of alien movies or i don't uh is it prometheus or something there's, that's there's right yeah paintings, yeah and there was this other movie with these uh, i can't remember the name because it's a bit obscure but they were they have these kind of cave paintings that were predicting something terrible happening in the future so i think there's this really there's a fascination with it I think it's used to progress because... the plot in Ice Age, isn't it? It's how you found out what happened or how they show you what happened to Manny's first family. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And they, they're actually animated there, isn't it? They can kind of use yeah. the, the hopping mammoth. It's so sweet. Yeah, absolutely. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. How does rock art compare to other types of prehistoric art? Yeah, so uh, during, I mean, prehistory, there's all sorts of types of uh, creative creative activities going on. So they weren't just, um, well, certainly in, in periods from, you know, the Neolithic onwards, you, you, we start seeing other types of decorations. So they were decorating pottery and uh, even um, certainly in Europe, obviously I'm talking about a European context. Um, but we see pottery decorated, we see um, artifacts, uh, we see like here in Scotland, we have these kind of stone bowls, carved stone bowls that nobody really know what they were for. You have mace heads, so all sorts of things that are decorated and obviously uh, the megalithic monuments as well. 
um, um, which some of them were decorated as well. And even we find carvings inserted in um, domestic contexts, like if you think about the nest of Brodgar or Scarbray. Um, what, what kind of, how we compare them in this very specific uh, context. I'm always a little bit worried about comparisons, especially mm -hmm. when we're kind of talking about different cultural and chronological contexts. You know, I, I'm always a little bit concerned when people say, oh, yes, yes, cup and rings, because that's what I kind of study. I've seen those in Hawaii or whatever, you know, and then they come up with this kind of theory that, that explains all of them. And I was like, uh, you know, different contexts, <laughs> different chronologies. <laughs> they might, might have been doing them for different reasons. But anyway, I appreciate that, the, you know, the designs are similar, but I think context is really key. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if we think about, about here, um, there is definitely some familiarity of motifs in terms of the megalithic art and what we find in, in open air. But, you know, um, also the, the the type of techniques that they were using to carve as well sometimes they're kind of similar um and and you know yeah and in terms of motifs that's i guess that's one of the the biggest things isn't it because if there are examples of um, megalithic art so for instance there are these really interesting spirals and a stone circle uh, in kilmartin here in scotland in templewood and we look at um the Garboldisha mace head, which is an artifact, um, which is is decorated with the same type of, of spirals, kind of placed on that smaller artifact in a very similar way. Um, yeah, so there there are some there are some similarities like that. But I think yeah, I mean designs, um, you know, techniques, and even sometimes the way that they were producing things, you know, like. Um, I'm thinking, for instance, there is this um, amazing work by Andrew Jones and Marta um, Diaz Guardamino here in in the UK, where they um, they were looking at how decorations were implemented in artifacts and stuff. And there was a lot of like erasure, and you know, it's like there's a sequence of doing, and we find this uh, this sequence of doing things in in other contexts, so open air art as well. So in that in that sense, there are. Com we can compare but obviously not not just stylistically i know alex has asked you about your favorite find um at the site of portugal but have you got a favorite find ever like in all of the research you've ever done do you have one yeah i do i do um so this is uh, this is again it's another site in portugal um that i worked in and um we were we were basically me and a, a friend of mine, we were basically hired to do this kind of survey in, in this very dangerous valley. It's a very kind of V-shaped, very inhospitable valley. Um, because in, in, in um, so prior to a dam, you know, we love dams in Portugal. It is, it is what it is. They keep kind of building them. And, and then anyway, um, and we did, um, we went to do this survey, uh, which was, very challenging actually but we ended up finding this uh, shelter there was there were we there was already some knowledge about it and we knew that there were these kind of uh, prehistoric carvings on it and then we prepared everything to go there and kind of record it and at some point we were looking at this rock you know on a panel on, on the outside of the shelter and my friend was like oh you know have you seen this there's some weird kind of you know 
wavy lines here is it a snake and then suddenly we were, were there just staring at at that wall for a while and then we were like hang on i'm not sure i'm seeing this straight and i was like yeah i you know this is this is it can be can it and then suddenly we were just shouting in excitement because we found it's a it, it was another kind of paleolithic um carving and uh, and it's actually a really interesting site because one it's really unexpected it's still the only one in that valley and um and there is uh so the depiction of this goat um it, it's like it's going up there's some movement to it as well you know they tend to be a little bit static and this one is actually a little bit there's a little bit of movement and there is this one main um image which is like in front of the other one like leading the herd and um and it's it, and it's really it's really interesting because this um you have the same body for three different heads, which is not unusual in Paleolithic art, but they tend to be heads of the same type of animal species. And in this case, you have the one body for three heads of different species. So we have, you know, it's like the first thing that was carved was the head of an aurochs, which was then um, overlaid by a horse. And in the end, they decided to go with a deer. So it's, it's just quite unique so far anyway and uh yeah and it, you know it's just a, a really exciting find and i think i think it will be difficult to top that one up it maybe it doesn't sound very exciting you know for other people but certainly for me it was uh it was a great find it yeah. sounds brilliant but tell us about your research now so you're looking at specifically aren't you prehistoric rock art in scotland what kind of stuff are you finding there yeah that's right so um it kind of follows some work that I've done before and again what we have here in Scotland is mostly this tradition that it's um, commonly called Atlantic rock art so basically because of its geographic distribution it's a type of carvings it's only carvings that were being created between the Neolithic and um, the early Bronze Age and um, and essentially the uh, the iconography so the type of motifs that they were using is very geometric is and very abstract and it's mostly like cup marks and cup and rings which is like you know little dots with uh concentric circles and uh spirals and um what we call rosettes and things like that and uh, and linear groove so you know a lot of these motifs are kind of um connected with with lines and and uh, yeah, and this is the same type of rock art that we find in other parts of Western Europe, uh, like in Ireland, um, obviously in, in, in England as well, and in Iberia. So both the northwest of Portugal and uh, the north of, of, uh, northwest of Spain as well. So that's, that, that's where the name comes from. And that's what I'm doing here. So I'm kind of uh, I'm working with Scotland's Rock Art Project and we have this kind of community um, uh, engaged engagement project going on we, and we are currently recording or we were because COVID kind of halted mm. all that but <laughs> yeah but we were recording um, the rock art that exists in the country so Scotland holds about 40% of the rock of the rock art that we know for Britain wow. and uh, yeah it's a lot it's a lot a lot of sites here is that because um, it's and, less built up so it's survived I guess to a certain extent, I think that's, yeah, that, that is a, um, one, it might be one of the reasons. Yeah. Um, it could be also a little bit of research bias, you know, because there are some very, there are clusters of rock art that are quite famous up here as well. And, uh, you know, people tend to come and then you find more and, and there are, you know, 
across across time there were people who really dedicated themselves to do to, to look for rock art here and so we're recording all this rock art and you know um with a um a systematic methodology to create this kind of database that we are now starting to analyze and try to understand what the role of this rock art was for the prehistoric communities do yeah. we actually know anything about these people who created rock art because you said you find something similar in other places in europe yeah, I think in terms of the people who created it, we don't really know much um, or even, you know, why they created it. Again, we don't we don't really know much about that. What I find really fascinating about this type of rock art is that, um, again, as you said, you know, we, fa- we, we have it in other parts of, of Europe and there seems to be this like universal understanding of the rock art of this tradition, you know? It's like, I mean... In my previous study, I was able to kind of identify very small details of this, of this, um, of, of, of in the making process of this rock art. I was talking about it earlier, this making process that you see repeated in all these countries. So it suggests that the, the rock art was actually taught, you know, between these um, these communities because we know that they were in contact. We know that there were, you know, networks of exchange of of artifacts, of people, animals, ideas. Um, and, and this, the rock art tradition just came along with it as well. Um, and it, it must have been really important because, you know, people just started creating it in very, very kind of far apart regions, especially if you think about the Neolithic, you know, I mean, Ireland and Iberia would be really far apart, wouldn't they? Um, so, yeah, I mean, we don't know about the people, but uh, we know that they were somehow united in this in this. Um, in this belief that you know the rock art was important enough to create it extensively yeah so what does it all mean then is that as much as we can take for it do we just take it does it tell us anything about how does it tell us anything historically about how they created art um i'm just looking like for where it fits in in sort of the the history of humankind yeah so for this type of rock art specifically, well, that, 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 that's a million dollar question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. What, what does it mean? <laughs> yeah. Because obviously we don't know the meaning of the, sim- of the symbols behind the symbols. And honestly, we'll never know. We yeah. really will we'll never know. But it is um, teaching us that they valued it as a, not maybe even as a skill, but as a part of their culture if they're handing it down. Definitely. But even, you know, even the skill itself, because uh, you can, you know, there are, there are examples of, of this, of rock art that looks like this, but you know that it, it isn't because it wasn't made the same way, you know? So they were teaching not only, they were kind of teaching each other, not only the symbols, because it's not a simple manner of, uh, it's not a simple copy of symbols of, you know, it's not a simple copy of the images they actually knew where to use it how to use it how to create it because even the carving techniques are similar in all the regions so there's this whole package that is kind of shared you know and obviously we don't know we don't know um the meaning of of these things and we know that from from you know ethnography that a simple circle can have so many different meanings depending on where it is located you know what kind of motifs they are created alongside with who creates it even and 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 the technique so and and this similarity really suggests that they're kind of united in this you know they were doing this 
together because they, they, they understood the importance of this rock art. There are, however, regional variations, and that probably um, is a ref reflects the different communities because they would all have social and cultural backgrounds, you know, different from each other. I mean, they were living far apart. They had their own, you know, ways of, of, of life. Um, so there are some differences. But essentially, you know, the core of the tradition is there. Um, but there are, lots of, there are lots of theories about what this rock art was for. Um, you know, obviously, it, it's, it's a really big enigma for everyone. And, uh, and people tend to say that, you know, there are ancient languages or systems of writings, places of worship and to sacrifice. And uh, there's, um, there was this uh, Scottish lawyer in, in the mid-20th century. He published this book. Well, Ronald Morris, actually. He published um, a book where he listed 104 um, theories that would possibly explain why these carvings were made. And so he compiled this and he ranked the, um, the, 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 so the theories in order of plausibility. So he used 10 for those that were, yeah, could be, you know, certain that that was the, uh, the reason or almost. And then five, it was a reasonably sensible idea, but could, perhaps it wasn't true. And then zero was um, a seemingly impossible idea, which, you know, I'm not sure why he listed things that he didn't think were possible, but anyway, he just kind of compiled it. He sounds and, pretty uh, pompous. <laughs> I know it's, it's really interesting. And some of them, you know, some of them, he says, Oh, these are all kind of astronomical symbolism and alignments and maps of the landscape and fertility and stuff, which, you know, you're like, yeah, maybe, but then others is like, Oh, you know, these are messages from outer space, or these were used for blood sacrifices, or these are images of cow pats, and um, <laughs> yeah, the, everything they have everything in there. It's a really, you know, interesting and funny list to go through. Actually, what's um, the most ludicrous thing on his list? Oh God, I, I don't know. I think the cow pats are quite, are yeah, quite, as if they yeah, chose like... to immortalize cow pats <laughs> or something. Yeah, I know. It's just I don't know. How, who, who would think about that? You know, it's just so strange. Yeah. But, you know, there are, there are kind of more academic, you know, um, theories about it as well. And there is all this idea of like organizing the territory or communication even, you know, uh, because these communities, even locally would not perhaps be seeing each other very much. And perhaps this was a way of kind of communicating between them. Um, so yeah, there, there are other, other ideas about it but you know it, it, it it's like anything can say anything anyone can say anything about it really as long as you can kind of back it up because we'll never know what the symbols meant so just one of those things <laughs> joanna thank you so much for coming on board i mean i think you've converted me to prehistory rock art and that is an impressive thing to do just so oh, you know. i'm glad to hear that yeah <laughs> it's like <laughs> i really want to get out there now and see more <laughs> Yeah, I want to go out. I want us. I want you to take us out there and show us this because it's just it just sounds so interesting. I would love to come and visit. Come to Scotland, and I'll show you the uh, amazing stuff that we have here. And thank you so much for inviting me. It was no, a pleasure. Anytime you want to come back and discuss more uh, prehistoric stuff with us, please do. <laughs> if you're not too, yeah. If if it wasn't too much, but yeah, absolutely, that would be lovely. I can tell you more, much more. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Thanks so much. Join us tomorrow when Satvinder Jus will be with us to talk all about the legal heresy, as he terms it, that went on 
with the execution of Indian revolutionary Bhagat Singh. So don't miss out on that. It's a really interesting story and it's going to make you quite angry as well. Don't forget that we do exist on Patreon as History Hack and on Patreon as well, which is Podbean's own version. Uh, Alina and I have had massive fun doing this in 2020, uh, but life's going to change quite a lot next year and we're going to actually have to go and earn a living, etc. If we want to keep up the regularity that we've been bringing you and the kind of guests that we've been bringing you and the workload, then we will need your help. So uh, if you join... There's going to be incentives for joining on either of those platforms. We're revamping ourselves on both of them. So don't forget to go in. You can do as little as a dollar a month and it all goes towards keeping up History Hack as regular as we've been able to bring it to you this year. We are now on YouTube. We are posting all of our new episodes on there and we have our own channel and we are gradually posting all of the back episodes because we have been made aware of the fact that you can only find the last hundred on some platforms. So you can go and listen to your heart's content and laugh at the cartoons and have a great time. So do go over there and subscribe. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.